Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. On Thursday, August 19, Melbourne notched up a pretty brutal milestone, 200 days of COVID pandemic lockdown. By the time they're supposed to emerge from this latest stay-at-home order, that number will be closer to 300. So do the people of Melbourne think they'll ever be the same person they were before spending so much time locked away? I think back to normal will be slightly different to what it has been, but I crave that normality. I welcome the time that we look back and in conversation say, oh, wow, remember COVID in 2020, 2021? But to be honest, I think that this has fundamentally changed our lives forever. Today, we look at one of the world's most locked down cities to find out exactly how this is impacting the people who call it home. Pre-pandemic, when Aussies thought of Melbourne, it was a mix of artsy, graffiti-walled side alley coffee shops, AFL rivalries and quirky advertising campaigns. But in this time of COVID, Melbourne is known not for its fire-throwing casino, its beloved but dirty river, or its world-class sporting grounds. Now, it's the world's most locked-down city outside of China. The Chief Health Officer and the Public Health team have recommended to me and my colleagues that we lock Victoria down, all of Victoria will go to stage four restrictions. Victoria will have to lock down again for seven days. A curfew will be implemented. There's simply no option today but to further strengthen this lockdown and to, on the advice of the Chief Health Officer, extend it for a further two weeks. On March 30th, 2020, at 11.59pm, Melbourne entered lockdown one. At the start of the outbreak, there'd been 46 confirmed cases those numbers driven down to five when it ended 43 days later. But it wouldn't be long until lockdown would come calling again for Melburnians. July 8, 11.59pm, 2020, Victorians were forced back indoors when local cases hit 149. Premier Daniel Andrews had tried to enforce targeted lockdowns based on specific postcodes that were experiencing high case numbers, but it wasn't working. By the end of July, case numbers would reach 626. By August, it would peak at 687, before, more than three months later, Melbourne was finally released from stay-at-home restrictions. After that second lockdown, Melburnians had come blinking back out into the sunlight after being shut in for a total of 154 days. Lockdown 3 was a relatively short and sharp affair, just five days in total, from February 12, 2021 to February 17. It came, though, just as many across Victoria felt like life had started to get back to normal. There were days and days of no new community transmission. An outbreak at Blackrock had been brought under control without the need for stay-at-home orders. Victoria's contact tracing team were finally showing their might. But then the virus slipped out of hotel quarantine. The government responded with the snap lockdown and case numbers never got above five. 
Lockdown 4 was also relatively short compared to 2020, starting on May 27 after two more hotel quarantine issues, one coming in the form of the Kappa variant from South Australia, another the fast-spreading Delta variant from Victoria's own hotel breach. At this stage, authorities were seeing just how much faster these variants were spreading. Cases did get back to zero, though, and by June 10, 14 days after it started, Melburnians were free again. By July, things were getting serious with a Delta outbreak in New South Wales, and it had started to leak across the border. With 10 local cases detected on July 15, the state was thrown back into lockdown, this one ending after 12 days, the state beating Delta now not once, but twice. But again, the freedom was short-lived. On August 5, just nine days after being set free, Victoria was once again told to stay home, entering their sixth and current lockdown. The origins of this outbreak aren't as clear as the last, but it has been genomically sequenced and shown to be connected to the New South Wales outbreak. While regional Victoria is in and out of lockdown as case numbers surge and fade, Melburnians remain at home as we speak, and despite the measures similar to how the Delta strain is impacting New South Wales, the case numbers continue to climb. On Sunday, Premier Daniel Andrews revealed the roadmap for the state to emerge from this current stay-at-home order and it looks very different to those of the past. Once we reach 80% single dose, Melburnians will be able to go outside to catch up with friends and be involved in some of the outdoor activity that they have longed and craved and really missed for a long time over these last two years. At 70% double dose, lockdown will end. At 80% double dose, regional Victoria and metropolitan Melbourne will be on the same set of rules. But when Melbourne does finally emerge at the end of October, when they finally reach the 80% double-dose COVID vaccination target, they will have spent more than 270 days in lockdown. That's over 38 weeks, nearly 10 months in total, shut up at home, and all to be in the same place as New South Wales, who've done far less time in lockdown. What long-term impact will this have? Can we see it already? Has this changed the people of Melbourne? Melbourne resident Paula hasn't seen her three grown children or their families all together since Christmas last year. She was also made redundant right before the pandemic, so had to find a new job while dealing with COVID restrictions. She says the lockdown has definitely changed her. For me, I've had some really big lifestyle and mindset changes, a lot of time for reflection. Because the lockdown, you know, really started or the pandemic started just after I was made redundant and it took me such a long time to get a real job, you know, there's a lot of trauma in the way that I lost my previous job. I had lots of time to think about what was important to me and so that meant that, you know, the little things, being closer to my kids, living in my sister, my mum, you know, doing things in my community have become far more important to me than the big career side of things that I sort of had been chasing. So, yeah, lots of reflection time. And I think what I notice right now is I really miss my friends. I miss that social interaction with friends really more than anything right now because out of all of the bubble groups and the little, you know, bits and pieces you get to see people, friends is the one that you don't get to see really at all. And that for me has been really difficult. Well, talk to me about that. How has that impacted your mental health through all of this? 
Uh, mental health has been a challenge. I mean, there's things like Zoom, which is great. You know, you can get to see people. But, you know, I sit on Zoom meetings all day. So then to sort of sit and do Zoom with friends and stuff is not quite the same. I miss the, you know, the casual chat, walk, catch up with a girlfriend, you know, going out for breakfast. All we want to do is have brunch. You know, they're the things that you miss out. And you miss out on seeing how your friends' lives have evolved as well during this time. And mentally, you know, I think it's really important to pick up the phone and call people, which I do do, and I've got friends that do that with me too. But it's still not the same as having a hug with someone. You know, that physical interaction is what's really missing now. And I think it makes it really difficult to just be positive all the time in such a big part of your life is not happening. Do you think you'll be able to go back to that after this is over? Do you feel like it's an easy transition for you to kind of put aside everything we've been through in the last 18 months and kind of go back to normal? Absolutely. And I crave it. I really can't wait for that to happen. I mean, I think back to normal will be slightly different to what it has been. And I think things like whether it's mask wearing or, you know, vaccination status, whatever it might be, they're just going to become a part of everyday life. But I crave that normality. And I say to my husband pretty much every night, I just can't wait to see my friends. I want to have that social interaction with my friends back. Laura had a baby in 2019, and after having to evacuate because of bushfires, she had no idea that her solo parenting journey would also include a global pandemic. She says lockdowns have left her now feeling in a positive place. At the moment, Claire, to be honest, I'm actually quite good. I think I've moved to the acceptance phase of all of this COVID business. I think I am getting concerned, to be honest with you, about the restrictions easing as much as I would love to be out and about and returning to normal, some sort of normal. I am concerned about how that looks and the numbers that we will be seeing also having a child that is not eligible to be vaccinated. My daughter's only two. That concerns me as well. But that said, our day-to-day life, it is good. There's obviously things that I'm missing so much. My family being the most important thing. They're all in New South Wales. That is really, really hard. But it just every day, day to time, to be completely honest with you, is how we're approaching things at the moment. When this is all over, I know you've mentioned you do have some reservations about the easing of restrictions, but once we do get past that, do you feel like you can leave all of this behind? Can you walk away from COVID and get back to life as per whatever normal that looks like after all this is done? I welcome the time that we look back and in conversation say, oh, wow, remember COVID in 2020, 2021? But to be honest, I think that this has fundamentally changed our lives forever It's really hard, I think, at this point in time to predict what the new normal or what life will look like. And part of that is because as a new parent, this has all happened at the same time. So I've been establishing my role as a new mother during a global pandemic. So the lines are blurred, so to speak. And things like, you know, I would love to go out to dinner with my girlfriends and just, you know, kick back with a couple of glasses of wine and have some laughs get in the car, travel across the border and see my family, do all of those things that we just used to take for granted. I'm really looking forward to the time when we can do that. I think at this point in time, for me, that fear of what is going to happen as we open up just sort of overshadows what normal will look like. 
We don't have a lot of research on the long-term impact of mental health from pandemics of the past. One of the few to investigate the impact of the Spanish flu pandemic at the end of World War I, Sven-Erik Mumland, found an increase in first-time hospitalised patients due to mental disorders in Norway rose by a factor of 7.2 in the six years following the outbreak. He also observed that Spanish flu survivors experienced sleep disturbances, depression, mental distraction, dizziness and difficulties coping at work. Survivors of the illness itself also had the added impact of the long-term health issues of the flu virus to contend with, which Mamland and other scholars also found increased symptoms of depression. It needs to be mentioned, though, that these people were also recovering from a world war at the time, which had impacted their mental health too. Many finding themselves in a chronic state of helplessness and anxiety. Health professionals say they dealt with patients who suffered from the feelings of grief, guilt, anger and abandonment for decades after the event. With the divide, anger, resentment and fear surrounding this pandemic and the response from some governments and individuals spreading misinformation, could this also be adding to the impacts of lockdowns? Professor Tony Jorm is an emeritus professor at the University of Melbourne whose research focuses on building the community's capacity for prevention and early intervention with mental disorders. Tony, has Victoria's collective mental health actually worsened in the past 18 months? How's that manifesting? Yes, it has been worsening. We know this because the Australian Bureau of Statistics carries out regular surveys of Australia's mental health, including Victoria's, and they ask about symptoms of depression and anxiety in the previous month. And they've been tracking that throughout the pandemic, and we even have data from well before the pandemic. And we can see that it worsens during periods of lockdown. And in the most recent data, Victoria, which has had more lockdowns than other states, has worse symptoms than the rest of Australia. So we're definitely seeing an effect there. How do we see this once we reach these vaccine targets and we do start to see our way out of lockdowns? Is this something that you think Victorians can just leave behind and move on with their life or will this have a lasting effect, do you think? I think a lot of it will go because when we look at the Australian Bureau of Statistics data, the prevalence of symptoms goes up and down. So it's not been static throughout the pandemic and it seems to be associated with when we're in lockdowns. We're cut off from social contacts. People are more likely to be lonely. People are cut off from sources of income, from job contacts. They have to balance homeschooling with work and all of those stressors seem to be the important factors in worsening mental health. And as we get greater opening up, those things will decline. Of course, there may be some longer-term economic implications post-pandemic of it all. We just don't know. It's also possible, who knows, things could rebound and there could be a boom following the pandemic. We just don't know. But I would expect things will resolve for most people. There are going to be a small number of people, for example, who have caught COVID and have long COVID and they'll have symptoms from that. And you would expect in those people there may be long-term mental health effects. But I think in the majority of the population, the population of people will bounce back. What if it turns out that this roadmap out is not the end and we do find Victorians back in lockdown again down the track? What impact do you feel that will have, considering how much Victoria has gone through in the past 18 months? Well, there will be a lockdown fatigue, and I think we're already seeing that. But you've got to remember that humans over human history, we've had many 
pandemics in the past. We haven't been in a situation where we can control them as well as we can now. We haven't been in a situation where we monitor the mental health of the population, so we don't know what the effects are. But you just got to consider what happened during the 20th century where people had World War I, the huge disruption and losses of that. Then they had the Spanish flu pandemic, they had the Great Depression, they had World War II, and you go that whole series of catastrophes, and then you go to the middle of the 20th century where we do have data, and you know people were functioning well. There was a resurgence of optimism following it all. So I think humans have shown that they can do that. It's going to be an interesting situation with young people who, you know, during adolescence who had their schooling disrupted and so on, because we haven't seen something historically like that for quite a long time. But there can be benefits from people coping with adversity, having problems in life that one overcomes and one moves through, emerges at the other end, can have a strengthening effect in the long run. So I think there are potential positives in it all as well. And I think the sweep of human history is that people will bounce back. The people of Victoria have, for the most part, shown incredible resilience and compassion for their fellow Victorians as they entered lockdown after lockdown, doing their part to protect others. But the lesson it seems after all this is over is that they will step out of lockdown and get on with living once again. But until the day 80% double-dose vaccination arrives, the debate continues over whether the right thing was done to get Victoria to this point. Paula and Laura say they've been through a hell of a lot and this discussion hurts more than you can imagine. As a Victorian who's had a horrendous 2020 and now 2021, I get this sort of sense that New South Wales have gotten out of it easier than what we did. And I know that's terribly unfair, but we did really hard yards last year and again this year. And why has the vaccination rate been so much more significant in New South Wales than in Victoria? That part of it, you know, the politics of it, I find really difficult. And I must admit, you know, when the news is on at night, I watch the news and I yell at the television about politicians, about it's so unfair. And that's really just not me. I'm not like that normally, but I've got such disregard for all levels of politics in the way that this has been handled. It's such a harsh comparison game when we've already been through just so much here in Melbourne. It's been horrendous. To be honest with you, this is the first time really in my entire life that I have been so aware of the difference between the states. I've always just known Australia as one country and I actually feel as though we live in our own little countries at the moment. At times the comparison talk is really, really damaging and this particular set of lockdowns that we've been in when New South Wales has also been in lockdown, plus or minus South Australia or Queensland, personally has actually been easier to deal with because you do feel like everybody else is managing it as well. The lockdowns where it was just Victoria or just Metro Melbourne were really, really difficult because it just felt like everybody else was getting on with their lives and there was no COVID except for us. And I think... Melbournians, personally myself, felt as though we were just cut away from part of Australia. Thank you, Victoria. Your efforts saved lives. It wasn't all for nothing. The rest of the country looks forward to catching up with you when this thing is over. That's the quickie for today. This episode was produced by myself, Claire Murphy, and our executive producer, Siobhan Moran-McFarlane, with audio production by Ian Camilleri.
Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. 